This is the MTA Podcast, episode 432. This podcast is brought to you by Prevenex, makers of Joint Health Plus. The main active ingredients are clinically proven to reduce joint pain, reduce joint stiffness, and improve joint flexibility in just 7 to 10 days. Save 20% by visiting Prevenex.com and using the code MTA20 before December 20th. That's Prevenex.com. Thanks also to Lagoon Sleep. Good sleep is so important for marathon training. And hey, you can get 25% off their performance pack right now as a holiday sale. Or you can save 120 bucks on their peak sleep set. Check them out at lagoonsleep.com MTA. That's lagoonsleep.com MTA. This podcast is brought to you by 2Before, a natural sports performance superfood made from New Zealand blackcurrant berries. They boast exceptionally high antioxidant levels proven to enhance athletic performance. You can get 30% off a 20-pack plus free shipping when you use the code MTA at checkout. 2Before.com. Hello and welcome to the Marathon Training Academy podcast, where we empower and inspire you to run a marathon and change your life. I'm Trevor. And I'm Angie. In this episode, we talk about books, our favorite reads from 2023, including running books and non-running books. And don't forget, as an Academy member, you can get access to all of our training plans, courses, resources, and awesome online community. Just visit MarathonTrainingAcademy.com and look for the Academy. Well, Angie, it is cold and windy outside and I don't know I've just not been motivated to run plus I'm really busy like fixing up a a rental property but I'll get my mojo back it seems like especially over the holidays it can be challenging to fit in all the training that one wants to do there are some people out there in MTA land we're gonna read some shout outs here they don't seem like they're having a hard time they are just going for it running races and taking action so Angie what do you have for us Well, we'd like to say congratulations to Tony. We actually interviewed him on episode 413. He pulled out an age group win in the 50 to 59-year-old category at the Berkeley Half Marathon with a time of 124.38. And then he ran California International Marathon two weeks later in two hours, 49 minutes, 14 seconds for eighth in his age group. Awesome. He said he was super psyched with a sub 250 even with major GI issues from miles 8 to 18. People who have dealt with GI issues know how challenging that is. Still managed to come away with a really strong finish, so congratulations, Tony. We'd also like to give a shout-out to a member named Philip. He ran the California International Marathon as well. And the cool thing is that he ran it for the first time back in 1988, and he still has the T-shirt from that original race that he ran. He said this year he was five minutes slower than last year with a time of 4.31.41, but he was happy that he beat a guy dressed like a caveman. So it's all about those little wins sometimes. So congratulations, Philip, and good luck with the Modesto Marathon that he's training for in March. And here's a nice email from Jesse, who works with Coach Joel. She says, I started working with Coach Joel right at the start of the pandemic with the goal of qualifying for the Boston Marathon. In previous attempts, I would get close but then end up injured, so I wanted to try out a coach to help me figure out a solution. On a whim, I reached out to MTA's coaching program because my dad was a big fan of the podcast, and I am now too. Because of the pandemic, my marathon goal didn't happen for another year and a half. We focused on speed and consistency until races started opening up. When it came time for the Philadelphia Marathon of 2020, 
2021, I got a 20 minute PR and qualified for the Boston Marathon with a six plus minute buffer. Fast forward two years and I had the 2023 Chicago Marathon on my schedule and a PR on my mind. I had the idea of running 318 after Coach Joel said it was a time I could do after running Philly. In one of our check-ins leading up to the race, he mentioned scary numbers like 311 and 312, but we put together a plan that felt manageable to me, one that would get me to my goal. The race was a dream. Even with the unreliable GPS of Chicago, I held steady and reached the half marathon point right on track and began to progressively speed up from there. I felt unstoppable. With one mile left to go in the race, I looked at my watch and tried to do some running math, which is hard, by the way. (laughs) I realized if I just held on to my current pace, I would finish in 315, which was beyond my wildest dreams. But the best part is that I had no doubt I could hold that pace, and it ended up being my fastest mile of the whole race. One thing about working with Coach Joel and probably other coaches is it's amazing what he knows. Some of the times he said I could run seemed crazy, and then I would go out and run them. His confidence in me wasn't optimism. It was based on all the work he had seen me do day after day, month after month. And as a result, I'm a better runner than I ever could have imagined. Wow. Super congrats on your success and all the hard work. And thanks for that nice note. Yeah. What amazing experience. And speaking of amazing experiences, shout out to our sponsor, Revel Mount Charleston, marathon and half marathon taking place in Las Vegas, Nevada, April 6th. This is part of the fabulous Revel Race Series. They're known for their incredibly fast and beautiful downhill races. Angie and I were able to do this half marathon last year. That's right. Revel is known for their amazing medals, free race photos, and gorgeous fast courses. And of course, Revel Mount Charleston was no exception. You can register today with the code MTA and get $10 off your registration. With Rebel Mount Charleston, they bus you up to the top of the mountain if you're doing the full marathon course and partway up if you're doing the half marathon. You have a great view of the Las Vegas Valley as you're running down. The sun is rising. It's really beautiful. It's hard not to stop and look behind you and see the sun light up the mountain behind you. I know, Angie, you probably didn't do that because you were so focused on getting to the finish, but Tim and I, (laughs) we took uh, plenty of breaks just to stop and look behind us because we don't see mountains like that very often out here. I think you should have tried running backward downhill. Oh, that's a challenge. (laughs) Just kidding. And of course, there is a ton to do in the Las Vegas area, so this can be a perfect runcation for the spring. And we love Revel Races. We know you'll enjoy it too. If you go to runrevel.com, use the code MTA, you'll get 10 bucks off. Runrevel.com, use the code MTA for 10 bucks off. All right, we're going to jump into our feature segment of this episode. We're going to talk about books, channel our inner nerds. I'm an outer nerd, not just an inner nerd. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Well on my way, well on my way. Okay, well, it's kind of a yearly tradition to talk about how many books Angie read. We're only December 11th when we're recording this, so I expect (laughs) you to get at least 10 more read before the new year. I actually projected the total. If I finish all the books that I have currently started, it'll be 250, which I'm very comfortable that I can do that, considering we have two weeks of the year left. That was actually a little bit less than last year. Yeah, I think it was closer to 260 last year, maybe. How many fiction versus non? Fiction, 105, and nonfiction, 145. So what we're going to do here is talk about books that we featured on the podcast real quick. Um, And you can go back and hear the interviews with all of these, so we won't spend a lot of time. But these are, of course, running-related books. Um, And then Angie's going to share her top 10 for nonfiction. And I'll share some of my top, I don't know, five or six. (laughs) 
uh, from my reading list. How many did you read this year, Trevor? 60. That's up from last year. Yeah, so I've got a couple of books I'll recommend. First of all, Angie, running-related books that we featured on the podcast this year. First one is The Longest Race by Kara Goucher. I'm sure pretty much anyone who is in touch with the running world to any degree knows who Kara Goucher is. And this is basically a memoir, kind of a behind-the-scenes look Tell at all. her running life and a lot of the challenges and struggles that she has faced it's a really engaging read, and it's kind of it's kind of gut wrenching. Yeah, it's pretty shocking too. Um, Some abuse that she outlines exactly. from her coach, but it is it is a great read, and I think it's an important conversation to be having in the running world. Uh, the second one is "Good for a Girl: A Woman Running in a Man's World" by Lauren Fleshman. This is another really good book. Um, Lauren Fleshman was a professional runner and, you know, just kind of talked about how difficult it is to be a woman runner facing a lot of the issues when the sport is set up mainly for men and how she and other people are working to change that. So it was really an excellent read as well. Yeah, I remember especially her talking about just the demands of training for the female body versus the male body um, for high school runners and how... A lot of high school female athletes don't make it into a running career. They kind of get burned out because some of the uh, same rigorous training principles that are applied to male athletes are applied to female, and it's just not good when it comes to their development at that stage of life. That's right. Yeah, so this is a really excellent book, especially for people who are coaches or if you have a daughter or someone that you care about who is young and is, is growing up and running to really you know think about some of these issues before you face them. Number three is Choose Strong, The Choice That Changes Everything by Sally McRae. Of course, Sally is an ultra runner, and this is part one of a memoir series that she is doing. She shares a lot of the challenges and difficulties of her growing up years. You know, you can see how it forged her into the athlete that she is and how she has the mindset that she does. Number four is It's a Marathon, Not a Sprint by Dr. Vanessa Corcoran. She is a medieval scholar and PhD at Georgetown University, and she wrote a, a memoir that talks about her journey to writing the PhD and intertwines that with running marathons. And um, she's a listener of the podcast and sent us the book, and we read it, and we're like, hey, this would be a fun story. We actually got a lot of great feedback on that episode because we asked Vanessa if she saw parallels between making a spiritual pilgrimage and running a marathon. So she riffed on that for a while, and a lot of people enjoyed that. And then we told her, you should write a book on pilgrimages for runners. Yeah, I, I still think that would be awesome. <laughs> yeah. There you go, Vanessa, if you're listening. We will come up with the book ideas. We'll do, leave the hard work to people <laughs> who actually write them. <laughs> That's right. Another awesome book that I really enjoyed, because I do love history, um, is about the UTMB, the Ultra Trail du Mont Blanc by Doug Mayer. It's called The Race That Changed Running. It's the inside story of how this race came to be and the interesting people who run this race and the huge series that the UTMB now has and also the winners from uh, various years. Book number six is Slow AF Run Club by Martinez Evans. We had him on the podcast and I actually got to meet him in person. He's a super cool guy and super funny. Um, he's doing an important work, you know, advocating for back of the pack runners. So that's what that book is about. Slow AF Run Club. Number seven is Long Run to Glory, the story of the greatest marathon in Olympic history and the women that made it happen by Stephen Lane. This was like 
kind of one of those sleeper books where I thought, oh, this doesn't sound too interesting. And then I started reading it and it was super engaging. Yeah. Like I thought I knew the history of the first women's Olympic marathon, but he goes way back. He talks so much about the personal history of the women who made that happen, who participated in it. Yeah, specifically Bobby Gibb, Catherine Switzer, Joan Benoy, and the Norwegian runner Greta Weitz. Names that everyone should know. That's right. Number eight is Master of Change by Brad Stolberg. And Brad is an excellent author. I love all of his books. And this one really takes a thought-provoking look at how we view change. And it was really kind of one of those books that changed how, there we go, changed, (laughs) that influenced how I thought about the process of change. Yeah, and it's not a running book per se, but there's enough overlap that we like to have Brad on the podcast. Yeah, it's something that's very applicable. If you're running long enough, you're going to deal with all sorts of change in your life. Some of it positive, some of it not so wanted. So this book gives you a great framework to look at that. Yeah. And then finally, Run Smart, Evidence-Based Guidance and Expert Opinions to Help You Survive and Thrive as a Runner by Brody Sharp. Yeah, and the book is really excellent. It's such a practical guide to navigating running injuries. And statistically, most runners will deal with injury at some point during their running career. So this is a really, really helpful book to read if you're injured or just kind of as a preventative measure so you know what to do when you do get injured. And if you're feeling kind of like overwhelmed by us listing all these books and the authors, you don't have to panic, don't have to start scribbling things (laughs) done. We're going to have all these books listed over on our website. So you can go there and refer to them. That's right. And if you're feeling panicked about your running injury, don't worry. There's Joint Health Plus. What an awesome transition to the ad, Angie. That was brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) And hey, they're still running their biggest sale of the year. It's going till December 20th. So if you hear this in time, you can get 20% off Joint Health Plus or anything on their website. They also have a really good vegan protein powder. Just go to Prevenex.com and use the code MTA20 for 20% off. Yeah, there are several things I love about Joint Health Plus. Uh, One of them is that ingredients are clinically proven to offer the most comprehensive and complete joint protection and relief available on the market. As a perimenopausal woman, I've been noticing a lot more joint issues, changes, inflammation. And so Joint Health Plus is one of those things that I've been taking every day and I've noticed a positive difference. And as always, Prevenix offers 100% money back guarantee where if you don't feel any actual benefit taking their products, they'll give you a full refund, no questions asked. You can use the code MTA20 to save 20% off until December 20th. That's Prevenex.com and use the code MTA20. Books, check them out. Books, check them out. Pick up a book. You got a fantasy? Imagination can take you to where you want to be. Are you curious? How can you find out? Books, check them out. Books, check them out. At your library. All right, we're talking about Angie's top 10 nonfiction picks. From what she read in 2023, what do you got for us? Well, I just want to say these are not listed in order of my favorites. I just rounded up all my favorites and tried to whittle the list down as small as possible, which was a task. (laughs) Yeah, I understand. (laughs) Um, The first one that I really enjoyed is called In Order to Live by Yanmi Park. One of my favorite genres is memoir, and this one was riveting. It tells the story of a girl trying to escape desperate circumstances in North Korea 
The author is now a human rights activist, mother, and graduate of Columbia University. This book, I mean, it's one of those where you just think, wow, how can conditions like that exist in our modern world? Mm -hmm. And it really helped me feel a lot of gratitude for where I was born and many of the things that I take for granted, like having enough food. Um, So yeah, in order to live by Yanmi Park. This was actually one of my picks too, so... Oh, that's cool. Wow, I didn't know we picked the same book. (laughs) I can piggyback on it. That's perfect. One of the quotes was, I wasn't dreaming of freedom when I escaped from North Korea. I was willing to risk my life for the promise of a bowl of rice. Wow. So spoiler alert, she survives and she made it to the U.S. And uh, since then, Pyongyang has called her, quote, a poisonous mushroom and a human rights propaganda puppet. Wow, a poisonous mushroom. That's quite the moniker. (laughs) Obviously, they feel threatened. <laughs> so it probably means what she's doing is making a difference. So we say, don't listen to Pyongyang. Read the book. It's eye-opening. The second book on my list is called River Flow by David White. This is actually the second time this collection of poetry made my top 10 list. It made my top 10 list last year. I keep it by my bedside, read a couple of poems each night. In fact, I read it through several times this year. Wow. So check out David White. Um, he has some excellent audio books as well. River Flow by David White. Number three is Good Inside, A Guide to Becoming the Parent You Want to Be by Dr. Becky Kennedy. Now, this book falls under the parenting category, and although our boys are now all teenagers, I still like to continue growing as a parent. And beyond the parenting aspect of it, I found it deeply helpful for me because sometimes as adults, we have to reparent ourselves and challenge unhealthy frameworks that we were raised with. And this book like helped me on a personal level, in addition to really giving me some concrete help with parenting. Well, you said reparent yourself? Reparent yourself, Yes. Parents are human beings. They make mistakes. And yeah, there have been things that I've been addressing in the last few years, like taking a look back at my framework, my childhood, and having to reparent myself. So it's a known term in psychology. I'm not making it up. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Do you think that there might be some listeners out there whose parents messed them up just like yours did? (laughs) (laughs) I'm guessing there's a pretty good chance that... Yeah, you were hurt by your childhood. And, you know, most of the time the parents weren't trying to mess us up. They just, you know, had trauma, had a lot of difficulties in their own childhood. And, you know, we tend to pass on those generational things unless someone breaks the cycle. We are probably messing up our kids and we don't even know how. Yes. Well, that's a whole nother book. But (laughs) (laughs) number four is All My Knotted Up Life by Beth Moore. She writes with candor about some of the challenges that have occurred in her life And, you know, I've talked about how I love memoirs, so I tend to really get engaged in people's life stories, especially behind the scenes stuff. And it's really a good reminder that you never know exactly what someone has been through. You can kind of look at their life from the outside and think, oh, everything looks pretty perfect or pretty easy. But many of the people who have a big impact in the world have gone through some really significant challenges. Number five is called Maybe You Should Talk to Someone, A Therapist, Her Therapist, and Our Lives Revealed by Lori Gottlieb. And this is another part memoir. And it's also kind of like takes you behind the scenes of what it's like to be a therapist. Obviously, therapists need their own therapist because (laughs) as people, we all have problems. It's really an entertaining book, but it also challenges you to see yourself in a different way. Number six is called Dopamine Nation, Finding Balance in the Age of Indulgence by Anna Lemke. This is written by a psychiatrist who explores the delicate balance between pain and pleasure. 
course, all of us recognize we're living in an unprecedented time of high reward, high dopamine stimuli from things like food, which are often ultra processed to give us a hit of dopamine, to entertainment. Of course, there's drugs, news, shopping, smartphones, all kinds of information surrounding us constantly. But it's coming at a high price to our mental, physical, and emotional health. So she talks about this in detail and also has some helpful suggestions on how to find connection and connectedness and ways to keep this dopamine addiction in check. And spoiler alert, long distance running is a great way to do this. Yeah. So take your smartphone out there with you while you run so you can stay connected. Checking Facebook, right? And Sounds um, like you need to read the book. <laughs> Number seven is Ultra Processed People, The Science Behind Food That Isn't Food by Chris Van Tolken. This book delves into a look at the science, economics, and history of ultra processed food and the industry's effect on our health and, of course, the earth. It's not great. <laughs> I'm sure people know that by the title of the book. Um, Dr. Chris Van Tolken is a really engaging writer and researcher, and he turned himself into a human guinea pig to test the effects of an ultra processed diet. And I try to eat unprocessed food as much as possible, but it really made me take a look at some of the, th the things that kind of are really sneaky and it can be really hard to avoid ultra processed foods. Yeah, I actually listened to about half of this book before the link expired. I remember him talking about how the obesity numbers are a lot greater today than they were years ago. But instead of, you know, blaming individuals, we should look at the environment. It's really hard, especially in America, to get away from ultra processed food. It's like in the water that we're swimming in and the air that we breathe, so to speak. He talks about his brother coming over here and lived in Boston for a while and how the, his brother gained a bunch of weight, became obese. He was surrounded with totally different food, a lot more processed food over here than he was back in England. In many places, even in an environment of great abundance, for the most part, there's food deserts where there isn't fresh, healthy foods. And so all you can find often is convenience stores, gas stations that pretty much specialize in ultra processed foods. So yeah, environment hugely affects um, the epidemic of obesity. Number eight. Life in Five Senses, How Exploring the Senses Got Me Out of My Head and Into the World by Gretchen Rubin. I'm a big fan of Gretchen Rubin's approach to writing about happiness and human nature. Um, have read several of her books over the years and had her on the podcast a few years ago as well. Um, in this book, she explores the mysteries of the five senses, particularly as a way to live a happier and more mindful life. Um, she's a very cerebral person who tends to do a lot of research, and it's really an entertaining read that will definitely have you thinking more deeply about how you experience the world. Doesn't she go to the Metropolitan Museum like every day? That was that was one of her goals for 2023, I believe. Go to the museum every day. Every yeah, go to the Met every day, and <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah, you really got so familiar with it, but also at the same time, there's no way that you can plumb the depths of a place that is so vast. Especially if you're taking time to stop and read all the signs. <laughs> sure. I mean, my kids they could walk through that museum in about 15 minutes. <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> be, they'd be ready to go. You know how it is with kids. I know. <laughs> okay, number nine. It's called Sure, I'll Join Your Cult, A Memoir of Mental Illness and the Quest to Belong Anywhere by Maria Bamford. Um, Maria Bamford is a comedian. This book is both thought-provoking and hilarious. She talks about joining multiple self-help groups in a quest to belong. And she writes really honestly about show business and her mental illness. 
Autumn and I listened to this when we were making our big drive to Montana. And I don't know what I was expecting. I wasn't expecting to be as funny as it was. I mean, it's very raw, but also hilarious. And I highly recommend the audio version because she reads it herself. It's kind of like a performance. It feels like sort of like being at a comedy show. If you're talking about cults, that seems like a target-rich environment for comedy. Yes. And although the cults that she was in, it was more like self-help groups or like multi-level marketing. So she has a broad definition for cult. Okay. Not everyone would agree with her definition of cult, but... Sells more books if she says cult. Exactly. It's very sticky. (laughs) And number 10. It's called Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents, How to Heal from Distant, Rejecting, or Self-Involved Parents by Lindsay C. Gibson. She is a clinical psychologist and talks about the destructive nature of parents who are emotionally immature or unavailable. And I'm currently reading this book, but I can already tell that it has made my top 10 (laughs) just because of how helpful it is. If you've had a difficult relationship with your parents, this book may be eye-opening for you. It it was interesting. A, A month ago, I first heard the term emotionally immature person. And then when I saw on a podcast this topic, I was like, oh, I have to listen to that because I've been thinking about it and listened to the episode, immediately started reading the book. (laughs) Um, It really has helped me gain language to explain the disconnection felt around emotionally immature people. And she also provides ways to heal from the pain and confusion that can be caused by growing up in this kind of environment. It's eerie to hear a podcast or read a book that like fits your situation so perfectly. It is. It's like, (laughs) how did you peer into my life? (laughs) (laughs) You've been reading my diary. (laughs) Exactly. My sister and I have been having lots of conversations about it. And you and I, Trevor, because I immediately shared it with you. And I can say it's definitely life changing, not in the fact that the other people are going to change, but the fact that you can change the way that you look at the relationship and your expectations of that person. Let's talk about your fiction favorites, Angie, and then we'll get to my list. <laughs> you can't wait. Do you just want me to read them out? I don't really have much to say about them. Yeah, just you don't even have to read them all. Just maybe like top five. Okay. Yes, fiction favorites. Um, number one is The Midnight Library by Matt Haig. Number two, The Covenant of Water by Abraham Vergasi. Number three is Shantaram by Gregory David Roberts. This is a reread for me. Um, and there's also a Apple TV series based on this book, which is also really good. Um, number four is The Running Grave by Robert Galbraith. It's book seven in the Cormoran Strike series. And I did listen to this one on audio as well. They do a great job with it. It's a very long book, but I finished it in a very short amount of time. <laughs> a little bit embarrassed to say that I may have neglected responsibilities to finish this one. <laughs> <laughs> um, and one I just read recently is called The Book Eaters by Sunny Dean. Sometimes when you read a book and you're like, wow, this is something new. Do they literally eat books? They literally eat books. And that's a bad thing? Well, you have to read the book to find out. <laughs> they put Barnes & Noble out of business? Because I love that place. <laughs> so those are my, probably my top five to see the rest of them. You can go over to the website if you're interested. So Trevor, now that I have blabbed on incessantly about my books, uh, what did you read this year that really grabbed your attention? Yeah, I'll share happily uh, some top picks. But first, shout out to our sponsor, Lagoon Sleep. 
helping runners optimize their recovery and sleep by having a dialed-in pillow. You can take a quiz over on their website, figure out which pillow is the perfect match for you. It's pretty important to have a good pillow since you lay your head on that thing for like eight hours a night. If you're lucky. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And listeners of a certain age will know that a poor mismatch in pillow can result in severe neck pain and stiffness, which is no fun because then it's really hard to run and strength train and just live your life. So optimizing your pillow is very important. And right now you can give the gift of optimal sleep for the holiday season. Lagoon is now offering gift cards so you can gift your loved one with the experience of picking their own perfect pillow. Cards are available for queen and king size pillows and Lagoon offers free fast shipping to your loved ones. Yeah, there's also other deals over there. You can always get 15% off with our link. But right now you can get 25% off the performance pack or you can get 120 bucks off a sleep set, which gives you two pillows and two pillowcases. Go to lagoonsleep.com slash MTA, lagoonsleep.com slash MTA. Thanks also to our sponsor, 2Before. They make a natural sports performance superfood made from New Zealand black currant berries. These berries have an exceptionally high antioxidant level, and they they have a caffeinated version and a non-caffeinated version. That's right. I'm a big fan of the decaffeinated version because I enjoy sleeping at night. (laughs) (laughs) It is a great pick-me-up before your workout, maybe during a mid-afternoon slump, any time that you need to boost your energy level. And they also strengthen immunity, which is really important this time of the year. They have immune-boosting antioxidants and naturally occurring vitamin C. Also really great for kickstarting your recovery by reducing muscle soreness and managing inflammation. Yeah, you can get 30% off a 20-pack, plus free shipping when you use the code MTA at checkout. Just visit 2before, that's the number 2, and then before, 2before.com, and use the code MTA. Okay, so here's my book roundup from 2023. I only read nine fiction books. I'm not too big into fiction. I am trying to read through the classics, and I shouldn't say read because I'm listening to them. And I love the Libby app um, yes. here in the U.S. It links to your library card, so you get free audiobooks. So this year I went through some classics like Moby Dick. I think I had to renew that one like three times. It's a long book. <laughs> <laughs> you learn everything you want to know about whaling. <laughs> yeah, it's a slog. All right, so in terms of nonfiction books that I read, this is in the self-help category. It's called The Untethered Soul, The Journey Beyond Yourself by Michael Singer. One main lesson that uh, I remember from this book is he says, you are not your thoughts, you are the one observing your thoughts. Hmm. Here's a quote from the book. There's nothing more important to true growth than realizing that you are not the voice of the mind, you are the one who hears it. That is an excellent book. And I'm patting myself on the back because I recommend it to you. I read it like three times. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you for that. So I think this helps you when you're out running and you have negative thoughts. You can observe yourself having those thoughts. You can think, man, I'm really hard on myself today. I am really having some negative thoughts. So you observe it, you can note it, and then just let it pass. Let it flow by. Because that's not the real you. That's the noisy ego part of you. The real you is the one that's observing that part. So that helps you kind of separate yourself from the noise in your mind. It's powerful stuff. Yeah, it is. Once again, it's called The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. In the business category, I listened to a book called Skip the Line by James Altucher. He's got a podcast called The James Altucher Show. Uh, The subtitle of the book is The 10,000 Experiments Rule and Other Surprising Advice for Reaching Your Goals. 
We've all heard of the 10,000-hour rule, which was popularized by Malcolm Gladwell. To become a true pro or expert, you got to do something 10,000 hours. Well, James Altucher is always looking for shortcuts, a man after my own heart. <laughs> and he says, what if you can skip the line? What if you don't have time to invest 10,000 hours? Instead, what about taking 10,000 experiments to see what works and what doesn't? Um, he's had multiple businesses and... Failures. I read the book as well. Yeah. A lot of failures, but he's also made millions. And he uses an example in the book that I really love. It's from uh, the world of high jumping. There is an Olympic high jumper, a gold medalist who actually passed away this year. His name was Dick Fosbury, and he was a college high jumper. And he came up with a new way to hurl himself over the bar instead of perfecting the straddle method, because he had really long legs and it was hard for him to straddle his legs over the bar like everyone else was doing. So he started experimenting with his own style of jumping backwards and flopping over the bar. He went to the 1968 Olympics in Mexico City and started doing that, and everyone's like, who is this guy? But he won gold, and now everyone does the Fosbury flop. So he skipped the line by coming up with a better way of doing something. I don't know of a better way of running a marathon. You still got to go 26.2 miles. There's no, <laughs> there's no easy steps. Okay, in the history category, I read a book called Why the Dutch Are Different by Ben Coates. He's a, a Brit who is an expat, lives now in the Netherlands. I think he married a Dutch lady. He writes this fantastic little book about Dutch culture and Dutch history. Did you read that book in preparation for going to the Netherlands this year? I did, yep. So why are the Dutch different? They're tall. That's basically the gist of it. <laughs> that seems pretty reduct <laughs> reductionistic. <laughs> They are pretty tall, though. You should go over there, Angie. There's... I got to visit the Netherlands in May. Had a friend from Montana who flew over there and met me. Uh, the Dutch are genius engineers. They've doubled the size of their country through the centuries by reclaiming land from the sea. They actually figured out how to harness the wind and pump water as early as the 13th century. So they're known for their windmills, obviously. But another thing that's cool is um, how they're a nation of cyclists. When my friend and I were over there, we rented bikes and rode all over Amsterdam According to the Dutch government, the Netherlands is the only European nation with more bicycles than people. Oh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> and there's a book I picked up when I was in Amsterdam called Medieval Horizons, uh, Why the Middle Ages Matter by Ian Mortimer. I've always been fascinated by the Middle Ages. This is, of course, the period between 500 AD and 1500. The Middle Ages actually gave us some world-changing things like universities, uh, parliamentary systems, and some of the finest architecture to be found in Europe. There's one part of the book that really struck me. Um, obviously, we're more educated, literate, enlightened, technologically advanced today than people back then. But one thing that we don't have is as much earthly common knowledge. He says, quote, There are plenty of things that 16th century people knew that we are ignorant of today, from being able to recognize all the flora and fauna in our locale to knowing how to use a bread oven how to fire a musket, how to tell time from a shadow, how to ride a horse, when to sow and reap winter wheat, how to store fruit that lasts 12 months, and so on. I was like, yeah, he's probably right. Like, I can't go out and collect mushrooms. I'd probably die. Yeah, our ability to survive in our natural environment is very low, <laughs> I would guess. And then there's a book called Grandma Gatewood's Walk by Ben Montgomery. Angie, did you read this one? I did, yeah. It made my honorable mentions. It's very good. Grandma Gatewood was the first woman to through-hike the Appalachian Trail, which is 2,050 miles. goes from Georgia to Maine, and this was in 1955. Uh, she was 67, kind of had an abusive relationship uh, from her husband. She had a lot of kids and not a lot of money. At 67, she decides to strike out on an adventure. 
And when she would hike the AT, she would just sleep on the ground or in strangers' homes. And she only carried about 20 pounds. It wasn't like she had all kinds of fancy gear like we do today. She was just drinking out of streams. And she had like a knapsack that she sewed together herself. And uh, she walked about 14 miles a day. She became quite famous for doing so. And she actually hiked it two more times. And the final time was at the age of 76. Pretty amazing. Yeah, it is very impressive. I mean, having hiked little bits of the Appalachian Trail. Yeah. It's it's very impressive for sure. <laughs> Here's a short excerpt from the book that extols the virtues of going places on foot. And I thought this would be great for our listeners. Anthropologists estimate that early man walked 20 miles a day. Mental and physical benefits have been attributed to walking as far back as in ancient times. The Roman writer Pliny the Elder described walking as one of the, quote, medicines of the will. Hippocrates, the Greek physician, called walking man's best medicine. Aristotle lectured while strolling. Through the centuries, the best thinkers, writers, and poets have preached the virtues of walking. Leonardo da Vinci designed elevated streets to protect walkers from cart traffic. Johann Sebastian Bach uh, walked 200 miles to hear a master play the organ. William Wordsworth was said to have walked 180,000 miles in his lifetime. Charles Dickens captured the ecstasy of near madness and insomnia in the essay Night Walks, and he once said, The sum of the whole is this. Walk and be happy. Walk and be healthy. And Frederick Nietzsche said, only those thoughts that come by walking have any value. (laughs) (laughs) And then finally, I enjoyed the book Rescuing Socrates, How the Great Books Changed My Life and Why They Matter for a New Generation by Roosevelt Montas. Roosevelt Montas is an author and a lecturer at Columbia University Center for American Studies. He was born in the Dominican Republic, and then he immigrated to the U.S. when he was 12. And he says, uh, encountering the Western classics in his undergrad changed his life and shaped his career. Um, Columbia University is one of the last major universities to offer the Great Books program, which they call the Core Curriculum. It's a set of courses in literary and philosophical classics, as well as art, music, and science, in which all the students study and discuss a prescribed list of books. It goes from antiquity and then through chronological order to the present. Uh, For example, you start with a book as old as the Epic of Gilgamesh, Homer, the Bible, other ancient texts, and you read through the centuries all the way to Shakespeare, Jane Austen, Dostoevsky, and Virginia Woolf. The great books, all the ones that you've read, probably Angie. (laughs) I've read a few of them, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, this is a cool book, and he reminds readers about Socrates' famous dictum, the unexamined life is not worth living. And he says that the best way to read literature is to examine yourself while you're reading it. So read it with an inward self-examining orientation. He says on page 85, if you want to understand Shakespeare's Macbeth, scholarly articles and summaries can only take you so far. To understand Macbeth deeply, you have to look into yourself deeply. What is it like to be gripped by the lust for power? What is the taste of glory? What is the shock of betrayal? What is the psychic havoc of unassuageable guilt? Literature can be humanizing precisely for this capacity to shine a light on aspects of one's inner life that might otherwise go unexplored or be seen only superficially. So yeah, if you read on this level, books do have the power to change your life. The classics are classics because they can be life-changing. They, they teach us to ask, what is the good life and how do I live it? So I thought maybe to end this episode, we would take some insight from Socrates and try to apply it to marathon training. Don't know if this has ever been done in the history of humanity. What do you think, Angie? Don't flatter yourself. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I know is... It's worth a try, though. <laughs>
is that I know nothing. Socrates quote. <laughs> All right. Okay, the first principle is self-examination. Socrates was always asking questions. Self-examination is also important for not only what you believe, but also you got to stop and assess how are things going in your training? Are your goals realistic? Or maybe you should have a plan B or a plan C on race day. Is there anything you could do better? Maybe you're not running the right number of days for your body. Just because it says five days on the training plan doesn't mean that's the best for where you're at right now in your fitness. You can go back and listen to episode 429, uh, where we have seven questions to help you assess your training. That's right. Self-examination is so important. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about reading is you can read things that cause you to challenge your biases and to think outside the box sometimes. What worked for you in one stage of life will not work for you in another, you know, especially in your marathon training. So you always have to be open to examining if what you're doing is working and being willing to try new things. And as you go through self-examination, you can question assumptions. Number two, questioning assumptions is a Socratic thing to do. Socrates urged people to question their assumptions and beliefs. And in marathon training, it's essential to challenge assumptions about what your limits are. You will discover that you're capable of achieving way more than you think you are through proper training, and you can push through your mental barriers. There was a time you thought you probably couldn't even run a marathon, and look at you now. There was a time when running 10 miles seemed impossible. And uh, people that we have on the podcast, you know, who run ultra marathons, I mean, they're just resetting the limits. They're trying to push to see what the limits are and, and finding that they really haven't hit it yet. It's interesting because a lot of times as a runner, you find yourself challenging other people's assumptions, like non-runners who have all sorts of dire warnings about the health of your knees. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's important to question our own assumptions about where our limits are. And number three is uh, continuous learning. Socrates emphasized the importance of lifelong learning and marathon training is also a continual learning process. Each training cycle provides you an opportunity to gain new insights and the marathon has something to teach you each and every time. That's why it's so important to respect the distance because things can go wrong. It's a long time to be on your feet for things to go wrong. And even if you've run 70 plus marathons like Angie has, the marathon can still humble you and teach you new things, right Angie? <laughs> Well, the great thing about failure or challenges is that you often learn more through those experiences than you do if everything went perfectly 100% of the time. Yeah. Of course, none of us want to bring failure upon ourselves, but knowing that you have the resilience to pick yourself up, reevaluate, and continually learn and improve physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, all the areas, I think that gives us so much hope. Definitely. And number four is community and dialogue. The Socratic method of asking students questions in order to draw out their thinking, um, that assumes that there is a community of learners. And similarly, the running community is a great place to share experiences, tips, to question and get answers to questions, and to share victories with fellow runners. This community and dialogue with fellow runners can definitely enhance your overall experience in marathon training. You don't have to go alone. I mean, in a lot of ways, it's a solitary sport, but the running community is such an awesome place, and runners are really cool people. So to be able to grow in a community of learners and people who just want to live life to its fullest is a lot of fun. Yeah, that's true. And that brings us to the end of our episode. If you want to see my full list of books I enjoyed this year, of course, you can catch that over on the website. As always, thank you so much for being a listener. And hey, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, let's make it official. Hit subscribe. And we'd really appreciate if you had time to leave us a 
review on iTunes or Spotify. If you can leave us a five-star review, definitely helps us get ranked and helps new people find the show. And if you found value in the show and you know of another runner who could benefit from it or even a (laughs) non-runner, send them a link. Tell them, hey, check out MTA. And if we can help you in any way in your training or answer any questions, shoot us an email through our contact form, marathontrainingacademy.com. Keep on rocking in the free world. Remember, you have what it takes to run a marathon and change your life. Right on my way, right on my way.